Welcome to another episode of The Back Row Theologians, a podcast where two guys with a particular set of skills talk about theology or whatever else comes to mind. And now here are your hosts, Andrew and Ian. Well, howdy. Welcome to another episode of The Back Row Theologians, a conversation about theology, the church, and the Christian life with little nonsense in between. I'm your host, Yates. And this is Ian. And I am a little horse. No, I don't mean little Sebastian. I am... My, my little Sebastian. Yeah, I, Tell uh, somebody I do. I had five. Well, we had. It's you and the sad It's emotional. Uh, we had a uh, um, our Easter services. Uh, we had seventeen services at, across our campuses at, at the church I attend, and uh, one was in Spanish, which is cool. It's the first time to do that. But it was um, there were six services at mine, and I led large group for anywhere from kindergarten to fifth graders um, for five of those. And so we oh, have wow. yeah, so we've had anywhere from probably about maybe twenty to maybe sixty or seventy at one time in a room. And I'm trying to like, hey, here's the big idea, and then basically I we break out into smaller groups based on grade or age or, or gender or whatever it is. And so, uh, yeah, yesterday was a long day for me. <laughs> it was really cool. We had a, I mean, we're always, you know, of course, praying that um, a lot of these people, uh, we joke, we call them Christers. Have you heard that? Uh, Christers? Is, this, is this like the Christmas Easter? Yeah, the Christmas Easter crowd. Now, we have mm-hmm. people that attend, I mean, we, uh, yeah, long story long, we have people who attend um, church only Christmas and Easter. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people have, have never been to church um, in this city, certainly not to our church, and they come check it out. And our hope is that a lot of people would respond to the gospel that we present. Like, hey, if we got you for one day, we're gonna present the gospel. And so we had um, we had almost a hundred people at our campus um, accept the gospel, which is super cool. Probably um, probably twenty people, um, twenty kids in the classes that I was in. Um, I mean, they they had faith as a child. I mean, we can talk about how much they understood it, but uh, man, it's just super exciting. Um, it, we, I went home and was tired in a good way. Well, there you go. No, yeah, it was, it was weird. I know, uh, you, uh, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, uh, they, you know, the Romans celebrate Easter different than the Jerusalem church or something like that. They're like, Hey, look, just celebrate Easter. Whenever people celebrate Easter, get over it. But there's something cool about doing easter worldwide and i know your church is they have a calendar They're like your church calendar is shared and i don't mean with the with the local congregates i mean shared with the globe has that did, you said that freaked you out doing a friday service i i'm not a fan yeah i'm Talk not to a me. fan of friday if i said we're gonna celebrate Dursi on, uh, easter on thursday what What's I mean? Talk to me. So I have a couple. Th- I mean, some of it is just. Uh, I mean, I think it's just symbolic. I'm I'm a huge fan of symbolism. I think symbolism ends up teaching people things, uh, and I think that even if they don't realize it. And so I am a fan of celebrating the resurrection on the day in which we celebrate the resurrection, which is a Sunday. I'm a fan of um, of doing it at the same time across the globe. Uh, but, you know, so I've actually been reading documents from uh, ecumenical movements. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the... So you've got it in your ten- blood right now. Well, so one of the, one of the tenets, I think it's interesting, uh, kind of one of the agreements um, of the early ecumenical movement is as like a move to a shared church calendar. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I think that there's something like, okay, like we may not agree on everything, but at least it's something we can agree on. 
And so I think that there's something to the fact that even if your church doesn't think it matters what day you celebrate Easter on, if it ma- if it matters to 98% of the global <laughs> church, it's like, it's a nice kind of little, it's a little thing you can do to like, okay, you know. So well, in, in defense of my local community, uh, we think it matters. Candidly, the fire marshal also thinks it matters how many people are in the building. So, like, we could have things at one time, but it's like, uh... Yeah, so, you know what? If you want to have one on Friday, uh, on Saturday, uh, I just... Uh, I, I can't, I'm not on board with that. Ooh. I mean, an Easter service on Friday. Oh, well. Have a good Friday service on Easter. So, uh, so I'll <laughs> tell you a little funny. fast about call my... It, uh, call it your Good Friday service. That's that's yeah. a great point. We didn't call it this year Good Friday service. So, I will tell you a little fast. Uh, so, I had uh, two interesting things on Easter. I went to an Ang- uh, a local Anglo-Catholic... Oh, my. Um, what? Anglo-Catholic? Yeah, so there was a movement in the early 20th century to move the, the Anglican Church more towards the Catholic Church. And so this is pre-Vatican I, Vatican II, pre-Vatican II, which happened in 1965, where the Catholic Church adopted English as the the main language for doing their church services in. Hmm. Uh, and so basically an Anglo-Catholic church was a sin. They were in fellowship with the Archbishop of Canterbury, but their, their service was more or less like a Catholic service in English as opposed to an Anglican service. They used, they used Anglican liturgy, but the, um, a lot of the practices were still more Catholic. That's interesting. So this is like a super old school. And so this is probably the closest you would ever get to seeing a medieval uh, a medieval church service in English. Well, in half English, half was in Latin, half was in English. Oh, half really? The, well, well, so the, all of the like the preaching, all that was in English, but the uh, some of the canting and all of that was in Latin. Hmm. So it, it is. So it's actually really interesting to see like some of the traditions with the Anglican. So this is talking about symbolism, right? So at the in this case, when they read the gospel, he the gospel was up on the altar, which the altar instead of being in the front, uh, so. If you if you've never been into like an Anglican uh, church, a lot of times they're shaped like crosses, and so like the top part of the cross is is the stage you could say, right? And so the altar is normally at the front of that, like right up, kind of at the the, the closest to the audience it can be. Uh-huh. In this case, it was all the way at the back, hmm. and so he stood at the altar and faced away from the crowd to read the Gospels. Now, typically in the Anglican Church, what they do to symbolize the word becoming flesh, they actually pick up the Bible, and we, as you sing a song, they move it right into the center of the crowd. So then you read the gospel always in the middle of all the congregation to symbolize that, like, the gospel is kind of like the word being the nearest to us. Hmm. Uh, and so it was just interesting to see some of these things. are like, oh, okay, like these little practices that you can actually... So this goes back to, again, like what I was saying before, these practices that... There's little meanings behind them that kind of add up to different views of what, uh, what how worship is. So that was really interesting. So I, I did that. I also held a baby for the first time in my life, which Whoa. was ter- terrifying. You've never held one of my children? I never have held. So here's, here's the deal. I had to explain this. And so it's was like, hold this child. And I'm like, oh my. And goodness. all of a sudden, and I'm like, I have like, I have an eight month old in my arms. Oh also, my. I've never done this. Eight months? So, I don't that... remember. I have no Really? Idea. Oh, we got to get you a newborn. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so here's, here's the thing, I, I want to have a child just so okay. I can make you hold All the listeners, before you <laughs> judge me amazing. out there, listeners, new mothers, new mothers are all crazy. Okay? I'm sorry no. if there's a new mother out there. They're, they're totally all, reasonable. They're all crazy. And yes, dear. 
<laughs> they're all so crazy about so like i'd never held a child before and so all of my friends were having like their first kids and i was deathly afraid to That's hold so any funny. of their kids because i knew i would do something wrong and they would freak out and no. probably never i like, think i think you're afraid of new mothers i think that's what you're confessing I right am, now I am they a, may or may not be crazy but you are definitely afraid of i them. am definitely for so but like there's always somebody else in the room that wanted to hold the child and i didn't really want to hey so I just, you go I just man never you hold that baby and you, so no, you go ahead i'm fine one of my friend's wives just handed me their child and i so it is still it is terrifying if you if you so here's the thing like if you're holding your own child it's like okay this is my but like it's that's totally different than like somebody else's child's life is like in my hands it's very different you're much more forgiving to your about I think parents are more forgiving to themselves with their children than they are other people uh you might be surprised <laughs> you might be surprised but that being said if I scratch the side of my car I'm like eh. But if you scratched the side of my car while you were driving it, uh, we would talk. We'd have a conversation. Right. I will say that. I will say, don't so, don't scratch my don't scratch my kids so, while you're driving them. Anyways, there you have it. Hey, you want to hear something fun I came up with this week? Oh my goodness! You uh, let's see. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I've got a couple things in my radar, but they're not fully baked. So I'm going to let you go ahead. Well, do we want to start? Should we start less baked or more baked? No, fully baked. Uh, fully baked. It. Well, this is like 80% baked. So we talked last episode about Kessikism. Oh my gosh. So, I remember. I okay. So I've been doing some thinking uh, <laughs> and I continue to have Good for you, convers- man. <laughs> so much thinking. And continue to have some conversations with my friend who may actually be listening. So if my friend is listening, oh, hey, hello. Friends. You have caused me to do some thinking. Um, about different models for um, holiness. So I came up with a personality test. Oh, no. I know. This is great. Not a test. But so I was thinking about you could you there are. So, okay. Everybody thinks that <laughs> sanctification, not everybody, most of the Christian, if you're a Christian, you think that the sanctification <laughs> sanctification is ultimately not based upon your own works, but the works of work of the Holy Spirit, right? Oh, yeah, so, I'm trying. So if you believe that, uh, but there's, there's always questions about like, well, what does that mean? Like, how does that work out? And so yeah, I think there are... Practically, how does it work, though? There are two emphases or... Um, that typically come up when you look at this discussion. One of them is the locus where you expect sanctification to happen, the, the location, right? And so the, the two major answers would either be towards within the individual, right? So sanctification is kind of an individual sort of action that takes place within your own spirit, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, your, or the church, right? The church has a part to play in uh, sanctification as well. Also, there's kind of there's two aspects. So everyone would say uh, that God is at work in you, and you have to work out your salvation and sanctification, right? So there's this idea about you, like the disposition of the person versus their participation in it. So I had this idea that you could actually plot these. So there you have two axes there, and you get four quadrants, basically, of four different models for sanctification. So you've got a Myers uh, Briggs thing going on there but you can then within each one one person the person's going to emphasize one or the other so you have a here you have an eightfold personality test for basically how people uh approach sanctification so i thought i'd mention these because it might be helpful to, to locate yourself Uh-oh. and a lot of times 
groups end up arguing both with the the group that's almost the same they just emphasize the other one right so like they said the groups that are almost the same but just have slightly different emphases are normally the ones that end up yelling at each other the most mm. so you end up kind of defining your own thoughts by yelling at this group that's very close to it's kind of like you're you're, you're my, like i argue with my brother more than i would other people my brother's way closer to me than like almost every other human on the face of the planet right but it's the fact that they're close and they have this whole slightly different emphasis right you end up defining yourself sometimes against this other person that's really close uh anyway so here they are real fast so there's the group that emphasizes the that sanctification mainly happens through the church based on the disposition of the person Meaning, if a person has the correct attitude uh, and participates in the church, then sanctification will happen. So this would act. So I label this that would be sa- sacramentalism. I'm uh, so the I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm graphing these out right now. Yeah. So sacramentalism would be kind of the idea that like that the sacrament of the church, the practice of the church, uh, imparts a sort of grace or holiness onto its members. And actually, you have a lot of the the distinction. The uh, traditionally, the Catholic Church has emphasized the church and the disposition of the person, and Protestant sacramentalism, this is like Lutheranism, Lutheranism, and some forms of Calvinism, emphasizes the disposition of the person in the in the life of the church. Right. That is interesting. Uh, so that's one. Uh, so second to that would be ones that emphasizes. The disposition of the of the individual. So, a, if a person has the right disposition towards them, it puts them in a place where the Holy Spirit comes and works on them. Uh, and so, this would be your holiness movement and monasticism. I would say. So, monastic oh, yeah, tra- traditionally monasticism um, really emphasizes or mysticism. Right. And so tending, I'm going to call this mysticism. Mysticism is seeks a personal connection with the Godhead. Um, and so mysticism and that's actually most of our, if you, if you watch, look at the worship music your church sings and you'll see a lot of this emphasis on the individual having the right disposition. If the individual has the right disposition, then, um, they have this sort of like sanctifying presence of God. All over our work, but it's all over monasticism mm. too. Uh, the other one would be the individual having the right disposition. This would be ho- this would be a holiness movement. We talked about this is uh, this would be your Methodists, um, Pentecostals are types of holiness movements. That basically, if you are able to have the correct sort of receptiveness to the Spirit, then um, the Spirit comes upon you and does a sanctifying work. Uh, Second Great Awakening revival movements were very much based around methodologies to create the right dispositions in people so that it would receive the sanctifying work. Um, the so holiness movements is very close to Pietism, and this is and Pietism is in a lot of our Reformed churches, and this is why they yell at like at they argue so much with like the Methodists and the Pentecostal Pentecostals. So Pietism would be individual participation. So individual participation, meaning it's your responsibility to work out your salvation. You need to participate along with the Holy Spirit. Do your part. Right. And so uh, the individual 
participation, that would be pietism. Pietism would be like your Moravians. It was a, uh, a movement in Germany that really influenced a lot of theology. Um, you don't see necessarily strictly, you see pietist tendencies opposed to pietist um, branches. Right. Some brethren would be pietist. But the, the reformed view, the typical reformed Calvinist view um, that you see would be this individual participation, emphasizing the participation oh, sure. that the individual um, the individual work, uh, works out their salvation. This is pretty, if you read things like a gospel coalition or, um, that's Young probably Reform. so far what you described where I would identify. Uh, a lot. Yes. Uh, and so the, and then the last one, the last one I'm still looking for a good term for, but this would be the church participation. So this, um, I call this, uh, this is your restorationalist movements. So once that, so basically, if the church, is, if we have correct action, then God works in us. So once it emphasize the church participation, these I call restorationalism. So this would be your Stone Campbell movements. I don't know if you know, who, what mm-hmm. does this become now? Um, I'm going to look this up real fast. Um, so Stone Campbell um, are two movements that happen. Um, two restorationist movements of going back to they're, they're like primitive movements, going back to correct forms of worship, disciples of oh, Christ, the, the biblical model. Yeah. So the Christian, on, yeah, yeah, Christian Church, primitive Baptists. Um, basically, if we can get primitive early Christian Christian worship correct, then then God will work in the church and it'll sanctify His people. But what keeps that is if church worship isn't quite correct. Um, the other one that would be the church participating. This is what I would call activism. This would be like a Salvation Army sort of, or a lot of your mainline denominations model. That the church is saying, when the church active, actively participates in the problems of the world, then she's sanctified by coming to have the, the right sort of uh, vision of God that God wants. The church is sanctified. This would be, I would say that this is the missional church movement, um, that, you know, the, the church is sanctifies as she participates in God's mission. Um, so anyways, I, th- I thought it was helpful to kind of, to put, so first of all, it's interesting to see how, um, so for instance, you can, uh, you can see that the missional church movement and the kind of traditional reformed uh, view of sanctification are, are right next to each other. And so you can kind of see how sometimes those uh, those influences bleed. They bleed from pietism to you know into you know into each other. So going back and forth between all of you together as a mission need to do this, but you need to have the right you know. And so, anyways, I I think it's a, I thought it was a helpful model to understand um, why, for instance, a Calvinist or someone from like the Gospel Coalition might look at like an Anglican or a Catholic and just not have any understanding why um, they approach uh, sanctification the way they would because the emphases are they're on different sides of kind of this model. So, anyways, well, I mean, that that fits into like um, uh, I mean, even like businesses are saying as you do international uh, business or you're leading international teams, you have to recognize the cultural backgrounds. Like if, if people are more individualistic or more uh, social, um, like going to submit to the the, the the majority in the room versus, hey, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go do it. Um, that totally changes how you do business, how you interact with each other. And so I think um, 
God has u- chosen to use people um, to affect people, like uh, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. But the way that we relate to each other in different cultures is totally different, and people are you know are totally different. So I think mm-hmm. the way that spiritual formation will affect itself will probably look radically different in different contexts. Yeah, that, and why, that, so I mean, is there anybody I, who says God does this in a bunch of different ways, or are you saying this is well, just the way that I tend to personally? Well, so I don't think it's it isn't strictly about um, collectivism versus individualism. Now, I will say it is interesting to me that you say that that more collective societies, so you could say medieval Europe, uh, Africa, where the Pentecostal movement is is growing quite strongly, um, have tended towards those that that kind of church side of the uh, equation, but I don't think it's strictly about uh, individuals versus uh, collectivists. It is more about everyone knows, okay, the spirit works in the church and the spirit works in the lives of the individual. Which one of those do you think is the primary place where uh, the spirit works in people for their sanctification? I think that's a very interesting point. I also think it's interesting that uh, your the entire grid that you put together is focusing on individuals. I mean, you could apply it to cultures, but I think primarily it's designed to say who it's designed to serve an individual. Well, it's designed, it's basically, it's designed, I think, to help people understand the different ways, different theologians talk about sanctification to understand kind of their tradition and where and who they're arguing against. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, yeah, I think organizing and recognizing that uh, there's a spectrum that I am somewhere on and life is more than black and white and God is certainly more than black and white uh, is super helpful. And again, just to Dorita, I, th- I think to maybe modify what I said earlier just a little bit, I think if you have these kind of wheels of how people think, it's like the people next to you, you typically get along with and they influence you. And then it's the two people like two steps removed. That, like you argue a lot with despite being kind of close and then the people on the other end of the spectrum that you probably are the most different with from the most different from you just don't understand them enough to even argue with them right so again yeah. I, I think it's i've been really focused recently on trying to come up with some explanatory ways to help people understand the church cultures they probably grew up in you know and who who influences to influence them what sort of arguments why do people they read online why they get really riled up about certain things. And so, so I, th- I think things like this are helpful, right? If you see a blog post and someone's like really angry about something like, okay, you can kind of figure out where, are they where, coming the, where yeah. they're coming from, right? Well, yeah, I think if uh, if you don't recognize, well, I think first off, I, people get upset and I'm like, what what is actually being threatened here? And until uh, until I can recognize where people, oh, okay. It's the community, or it's the freedom of the individual, or it's the role that God plays, the, like the sovereignty of God, or mm-hmm. it's my responsibility as a human. Uh, all these things, you've got to hold intention, but we're going to lean one way or the other. No one mm-hmm. can balance these things perfectly. Yeah, so I think actually uh, one of the reasons I wanted to bring that up is I think that, that um, some of those ideas about holiness and the individual and the church will end up being really important as we think about uh, church discipline, which I'm sure is like everybody's favorite topic right below, like I think.
Well, I, okay, so we got to talk about what... Which, which movie is that from? I'm, I'm really <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's great. Of course it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, how, how are you? How is your discipline and what's it doing? So I think uh, what... So like when we think about discipline, just off the bat, just boom, discipline. Before we talk about church discipline, I mean, when I think discipline, I'm thinking somebody's getting a spanking. Is that when you're talking about church discipline? Is that what you're thinking? I mean, we're talking about the sacraments of the church or the the holy orders. That's n- we're not talking about a kid's ministry here, full of t- t- children being disciplined. Although that may be going on, there may be some discipline in the kids kids ministry. But what do you when when I say people are being disciplined? What does that mean to you? Yeah, so I think that the topic of church discipline has to do with the fact that people are sinners. So the church... <laughs> fact, let me tell you. Right. The that's church... not abuse. People <laughs> are messed up. Hey, actually, I'm going to I'm gonna put a pin right here. In Proverbs 14, 12, all right, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So, like, there's a way that you, Ian Kissel, think, oh, of course, this is what I should do. But right. if you do that, it will kill you, all right? Like, I don't know what that is, but there's some things in your life and in my life and all of our lives that will kill us that would seem the most innocent, obvious thing to do. Mm-hmm. Now, in Proverbs 16.25, so two chapters later, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. <laughs> and Solomon's like, uh... Now, I said this, and you did not hear me, so I'm just going to repeat it. There's not a lot repeated in the Bible. This is straight up copied and paste. Uh, could have been a mistake. It's that identical. Um, people are messed up. I think right. that's – you cannot argue with that. That is the foundation of needing discipline. But keep going. Don't stop. You're, so, yeah. you're doing so well, good. Well, so, I mean, I think that's – so that's at the heart of church discipline, right, is how does the church – shepherd people that are that struggle with sin the difficulty in this in the discussion though is that the church herself also struggles with sin so you have a sinful entity attempting to shepherd people through sin uh which which causes all sorts of complexities uh and qualms lots of people have lots of qualms about uh, mm. about church discipline you know what really grinds my gears yeah no i'm i'm totally there and sin could be uh just gross, horribly immoral Ten Commandments sort of stuff, or it can just be uh, poor communication. Like, right. I sent a bad email, and that was sinful. You know, like that kind of thing. Well, I, I, I want to, yeah, I want to bring up two before you tell us what grinds your gears, but there are two no, aspects that's of I'm sin. Just saying, one is, uh, one that's... is like active moral rebellion against God, and the other one is just realizing that sin has uh, caused our, our inter, caused dysfunction sin causes dysfunction we're not in harmony with each other the way we should be and so we have lots of there are lots of misunderstandings between people even well-meaning people that is a result of sin right and so some of the church a lot of the function of church is just hey how do we if we're supposed to be one church that's unified how do we overcome all of these dysfunction that's natural to a world that's full of sin would you be would you be okay with saying sin if if death is at its base separation at its most base sense some sort of separation sin leads to death and in a in a Christian community sin leads to 
uh, a need for reconciliation or any sin leads to division. Yeah, and I, and I think also I th- would agree with that. And I also yeah, think nice. just recognizing that the the natural tendency is not for people to come together, but for people to drift apart, right? Like it oh, takes yeah. active energy in order to keep everything on everything unified, as opposed to like if we just all you know come here every week, then we're all just naturally going to be more unified. No, if you all come to the same place every week, you know what's going to be natural? You're naturally arguing about the carpet. Yeah, I mean that's a I mean a, what is it a law of thermodynamics like energy dissipates. You know like things just spread out and get further away. And I think well, that's true relationally. Like people that are super confined. Well, okay, like <laughs> I'll give you I'll give your popularist definition of the laws of thermodynamics. Okay. All right. I'm not just going to let that slide. Uh, we're not going to we're not going to have a, a blow by blow Wikipedia double checking. Um, of the four laws of thermodynamics. But I think uh, if you put people in a super close environment, there's going to be conflict. And unless mm-hmm. energy is put into those relationships, people are going to get more, if not physically, then relationally distant. Right. Like that's that's kind of how things are going to trend. Right. I mean, the show Friends is popular because there's drama. And there needs to be some sort of reconciliation. There's There's... No lack of tension. Every Why is the show? Fr- I think we've talked about this recently. Why is the show Friends popular? No one knows. Oh man! All yeah, it's it's great. It's so good. I love it. It's one of the best things in the world. Ever one of the greatest you, things made by you humans. are allowed. You are allowed to believe that. I don't think I've ever uh, watched Friends to be honest. But anyway, <laughs> so church discipline. Um, I think as we talk about, so we got people that are messed up, and there is an element of like the church having to help people not be evil. Um, I mean, you were talking about like describing the church as a mother. Do you want to, you want to drill into that? Well, idea? Let's, let's start, let's start for a few. Let's lay some groundwork. So here's some, some prolegomena, some, some first Whoa, things I think we need to talk pro-legomena, about. Prolegomena. Pro. Is it a great? First words. Let's do some first, first words. First words. Okay. Some first concepts. That prolegomena. Oh my. Prolegomena. It's a great word. Um, so let's, let's lay out, um, so first of all, so here's some things I've been thinking about that I think are, would be helpful. Things I think about are rarely helpful, but this time they might be. So I've been thinking a lot recently about the church, uh, of the dual nature of the church as a spiritual and a visible entity. So this mm-hmm. is something that we laid the framework for from the very beginning of the series, right? That the church is visible and, and invisible. Right. Uh, but I've been thinking a lot recently about uh, I come from a church tradition, tradition that is very good at the invisible part of church. Like the church, like, <laughs> as in they don't show up on Sunday. What do you mean? <laughs> well, I mean they're like okay, it's so like the, you know, the the church invisible, meaning the church is the collection of all people who have a connection between the rede- between the redeemer and the redeemed based upon faith. That's my definition of the invisible church, and the invisible church has a responsibility to do things like proclaim the word of God, uh, be the body of Christ in the world, all of these things, right? And the, I, my tradition that I came from was very good with those sorts of things. Uh, but some of the stuff we've been talking about as far as church practice, church practice a lot of times mixes together that element, but also the, the church as a uh, function of society. Okay, so People need to form themselves into groups. Um, the world is just really, I think, too big and too chaotic for people, for a person to not go insane 
trying to make sense of it by itself. Yeah, I've got to so make, people, got to break things down. What what sort of person are you? What's your personality type? What's your spiritual formation model that you most likely adhere to? So, so people people f- make sense of the world by collecting into groups that help them explain the world. Uh, and the church does this, and it does it um, in some sense. The church has its own culture, but the churches form around um, worldly cultures. Because that's why, for instance, when I go around, there's a thousand churches around me, you know. Down the street, there's a Macedonian Orthodox Church, and then there's the Estonian Baptist Church, right? And then down the road from me, too, is the Chinese Mennonite Church. Right? Like, these are groups of people that kind of need the church to help them function in society. Uh, and just the English Calvary Chapel down the street, you know, it's like they need the, the church functions and they, it, like you said, it marries and it buries people and it functions as a pillar that helps you understand the world, right? Okay, I'm trying with so, that. And so I think it's important to know that, like, the, the church is operating on different levels, right? There's the church, which is all people across all time that have a relationship with Jesus. And then there's the church in the sense of, like, all Christians alive right now. And then there's the church. We mean, like, this is the this little collection of people which are both functioning in the invisible church and also need this building and these group of people to function in society. And there's the church as the communion of saints, right? Like, these are my 10 people that I commune with because they are part of each other's spiritual lives, right? That there are levels to the church. And so when we talk about church discipline, we need to understand that if you talk about discipline, there's a line that's been crossed and you better know which line it is. Is this mm-hmm. a, like, is this part of like a spiritual line or is this a cultural line of ours, a norm about how your group operates? Does that make sense? I, yeah, I think so. It's interesting. It's I've never thought of myself as being disciplined uh, by the saints who have died. But I guess like when I'm looking at, so like if I stand up and I read the Apostles' Creed, in mm-hmm. one sense I'm saying every Christian has said this is true. I mean, either explicitly or implicitly. Um, and when I reject part of the Apostles' Creed, the in some sense the history and the legacy of millions of people are standing up billions of people are standing up and saying whoa 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 what really we're doing this right now is this happening um and so that is kind of a cool cool way to think about i mean they're not telling me uh i mean i you know i need to get a you know i need to update my mortgage or my budget is man you're doing 10 percent but is that pre-tax or post-tax? Well, come on. You know, it's like we're not working through like day-to-day issues, but the biggest issues, the world and the the historical community of faith worldwide is speaking into us. That's kind of a cool mm-hmm. – I don't think I've ever thought of it like that, church discipline in a global sense. And But when we were talking about church discipline while we were prepping for this, it was funny to me how we were thinking of church discipline in different contexts or different scales. Mm-hmm. And and we were completely talking past each other. So I, yeah, I can I can I can see how that's that's helpful to set up. And so you know, it reminded me of this quote that I had from one of our uh, one of our uh, professors, and I had to dig. I found and I found it on my notes. And I thought this was really interesting. So this was a so uh, Andrew and I went to a seminary that partway through um, dropped a, they, an alcohol policy. So they used to have a no drinking policy, and they they dropped that. So this was actually before they dropped that. And I thought this, this statement was really interesting. I don't know if you remember it. But he, he said that 
organizations have to do things to protect themselves from their members. So, for instance, your business, you have to have all sorts of laws to, like, basically protect yourself from your employees, right? Hmm. But the church isn't that, he would say. Like, the church is an organism. It's not an organization. Seminary, he says, on the other hand, it's not a church. It's an organization. So, if you have members that are across... So, this, I'm just going to read this quote. Um, not a quote. This was my summary. When a member of an organism is working with cross-purposes with the organism... The organism tries to protect itself, but spare the member, only getting rid of it as a last resort. So organisms, basically, if you have something that's sick, if your arm is hurting, your organism's first thought is not get rid of the arm. It's try to get... But organizations can't do that. So he would say, like, when you came to seminary, you knew what you're signing up for. Any place you go, there's going to have practices that you don't like. Um, and then you have to understand basically what liberty you're giving up if you're going to join that organization. Hmm. Uh, it, so it's it's an interesting look, though, that some sense churches, local churches, are both organizations and organisms. As much as we want them to be all organisms, the fact that churches act as both, they're both spiritual entities and, I would say, functions of society. And sometimes, as, as a function of societies, they have rules and norms that I don't think are necessarily moral. But it's kind of like, so for instance, if you, if I go to an Estonian Baptist church, chances are that the general practice that that church expects is probably something in line with the Estonian culture, right? So if <laughs> I come in and I do something that's not in line with Estonian culture, like there's going to be some, there's going to be some rejection of that, right? And so if, some if, of the if thing- I bring a latte in and a scone from Starbucks to that service, they're going to freak out. <laughs> Let me tell you. Or, or, I mean, or little things. So if I go into a Greek Orthodox service and I cross my legs, I'm being, I'm being disrespectful and there's going to be a reaction against that. So here, here's, That's here's the reason I'm saying this. Sometimes the, if you're a church member, okay, so let's say you're a Bible study leader, right? And somebody does something in your church. So you're like, That's wrong. You need to first think about and, and think what, which aspect of the church have they transgressed? Have they tra- transgressed a norm that's a norm in your church as an organization, as a cultural entity that needs to be addressed? Or have they, tr- have they uh, transgressed a moral law of God? And I think that those are not the same things. Uh, and I, I think that's a sort of awareness that we ought to have when we have this. And there's been a lot of hurt. When people come and say, thus saith the Lord, and act as if it's a moral quandary, when really what you've done is you've just kind of transgressed the norm of your organization. Does that make sense? So I think it is significant when someone says, uh, God is offended or I am offended. But I, I think I need to know when I'm offending people I care about. If they don't tell me it's... I mean, that's part of the conversation is, hey, when you said that, it really hurt me. And that takes a ton of maturity yeah. for, I mean, I mean, like you know, a married couple for one mm-hmm. member of that couple to say, hey, that really upset me when you did this. That takes mm-hmm. a lot of humility and it takes a lot of maturity. But um, certainly that's not easy for larger groups as well. But that's certainly significant like that. I've sinned against you 
is yeah. significant, and we need to have reconciliation because that sin has brought division. That's absolutely true, right? If someone, but if someone comes into my house, you know, and burns the flag of Texas or something like that, right? <laughs> oh my! I would say like, that's, why would you say that out loud? I feel like that's personally disrespectful, but that's not the same thing as coming in and murdering my family, right? Like, the, <laughs> is, yeah, different order. And I, I think, I, I think I just want to, I want to lay that distinction, these distinctions of the church. So we're going to try to be really careful when we talk about church discipline in the next coming up we're, that we're defining which level of the church and which function of the church and but anyways and, and i mentioned it too just because i think that i think a lot of our church need to think more about how they function as societies especially in as cultures become more the cultures that i'm living in are becoming more anti-religious that the church functions that there's less congruency between the church as a group and other uh, and other groups that they're a part of, and so they need to understand yeah. that how that that they function as kind of a visible organizing principle for people's worlds. I think uh, with the idea of discipline, there's one element of like uh, like a mother disciplining her child. That that is an mm-hmm. element of the idea of discipline, helping a child be or grow, mature more into what the child was designed mm-hmm. to be. Um, but I think at the same time, like an adult can you can recognize an adult as being disciplined. Meaning that they don't just eat ho-hos all day. They're not eating Big Macs mm-hmm. all day. They discipline themselves. Maybe they don't do what they would naturally do for – and they sacrifice for the sake of something greater. So they right. give up something to have something else that they yeah, that's a great, greater that's, than whatever it is. Yeah, that's and, a great example. And so I would say like anything in the church – and I think the, the term that I've seen come around in the last several years of spiritual formation – um, that in mm-hmm. the sense is yeah. how do we discipline our members? How are we disciplining ourselves to be more and more and more into what God has called us to? I've always preferred the term shepherding over spiritual formation because I think it's just such a great image of like the Lord is our shepherd. He wants what's best for us, but sometimes he breaks the legs of the sheep. Uh, yeah. And so, and so uh, I know I totally forgot to answer your first question as far as prolegomena. So there's there's a really famous uh, line by Cyprian from I believe the third century oh, says you can't have uh, that you can't have God as your father if you don't want Christ or not Christ if you don't have the church as your mother, and the the church is always seen or the the church has seen herself as of the mother to her people, and this this image actually comes from Paul when he says um, he cared for. Um, church like a new like a mother of a newborn took care of her newborn mm-hmm. um, this kind of nurturing so like there's a nurturing aspect of the church but there's also you know what my mother was not always happy with me when I transgressed the line my mother let me know and she and so you know there's but but the discipline of a mother like nurturing her children even in discipline is a different than like the government like you didn't fill oh, out your yeah. taxes properly, now you're so, in prison. Uh, so you're now, so now you're in jail. Like, oh my like those are different, different views. So I just want to bring up real fast uh, a Bible passage, and I know you've got a slew that you, Andrew's, and we've talked about this actually for years because this is a topic Andrew I think is thought about. I love. About. So I, I want to get to all your. So I just want to point out real fast. So kind of an organizing principle for me: First Timothy one. Um, and oh so, yeah. So break it out. I, so I, you sent this out, and I was confused. Can you tell me why? <laughs> why First Timothy yeah. one relates to so this? So first, First Timothy one. I just think it's helpful as far as establishing an attitude for thinking about discipline. So Paul is actually writing Timothy, and Timothy needs to do some church discipline. Um, so he says, "Hey, by the way, I urge you, 
to remain in Ephesus and instruct certain people not to teach these things. Tell them they're not supposed to do this anymore. So he's like, you need to have, you know, this is a, you're going to have to have some discipline. Uh, you're going to have to do some disciplining, Titus or Timothy. Mm. But uh, starting in verse 12, he says, I'm grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ who strengthened me because he judged me faithful and pointed me to service. Even though I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence, I received mercy because I acted in, in uh, ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ overflowed to me. And then he says, this, this saying is worth sure and worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. And I think that that line is just really important as an attitude when we think about what do we do when we feel like believers, whether they're under our spiritual care or they're in our Bible studies and, and we have. So what do we do when we have people in our Bible studies or maybe you know we work in a church who uh, hurt us or maybe we think that they're living a, a life that's hurtful to themselves? And I think this attitude is important. Like, I've received mercy because I'm a sinner, and I still am a sinner. Like, I'm the foremost of sinners, Paul says. And I think this sort of attitude is is really helpful. That's This is the attitude that we approach church discipline. Like, we need to discipline, but with the attitude of showing mercy to people just like we've been shown mercy. And realizing that we are, we're, I'm still a sinner, uh, and need to approach it with humility. Oh, yeah, that... uh uh, yeah, I think so. A passage I would go to first um, when I'm talking about church dif- discipline or conflict resolution um, broadly, I would fit into church discipline um, yeah. is uh, Matthew 18. And it, I just had it pointed out to me today that the the context of Matthew 18 is all about forgiveness. Um, reconciliation is a big part of this. But the overarching thing is uh, I have to forgive people. Because God has forgiven me way more than whatever it is that we're talking about right now. Whatever the grief is, as horrible as it may be. Right. Uh, what you're referring about at the end of Matthew 18, right, is the, um, it's the parable of the unforgiving servant, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's evil. It is evil for me to choose not to forgive. Yeah. So um, can I, can I talk about that? Christ. Can I talk about that parable real fast? I think the numbers in that parable are so interesting. I did some calculations, and I'm just going off the top of my head. Give it to me. Give me some But numbers. I tried, and so, this you know, if you don't know, you know, there's just two servants, and the one gets forgiven 10,000 talents, and then he goes, and he demands a payment of, I forget how much. And yeah, I and I, like I calculated that. that it was something, it was something like, I think I figured like, like two grand, right? So if you owed me two grand and I needed the money, like, that's not a big deal, right? Like, two well, grand is... Well, it is a big deal. No, that's what I'm saying. It is a, that's I mean, what I'm it's a big it's a, deal, but... It's a big deal. Like, if you owed me two grand, that's a lot. That is a big debt. But 10,000 talents, I calculate, something like, if this guy's whole village worked for their entire life and their kids worked for their entire life, they could probably pay off the debt, right? Like, this is like, you have a debt so big, your village is now in debt the for two generations. economy kind of thing. And so I think the beginning of this is to, again, recognize the fact that, like, to not be dismissive about the way that people hurt us. I think that's important. Like, this debt that he owed was huge. It was two, two oh, three thousand yeah. Like, And I think a lot of teaching on conflict resolution means just dismiss that it's not a big deal. And you know no, what? You that... recognize it is a big deal, right? But the bigger deal, in light yeah. of God's provision and forgiveness, 
right? Pretending it doesn't matter is a great way to end up as a bitter old person, right? Yeah, that's that's when you when you when you lose your when you at some point you lose your ability to care about holding it in in anymore, and you just become bitter, right? It's not that recognize the evil that's been done to you, but also realize I'm the greatest of like the Lord had mercy on me, the greatest of sinners. Yeah, it's it's denial to say that something bad didn't happen or to say that you don't have feelings. Um, but all that to say, um, we're talking about church discipline. And a big part of that is reconciliation. Um, forgiveness is one thing, but reconciliation is a different thing. So walk me through Matthew 18 uh, from your perspective, Andrew, and talk about uh, from the church's perspective. Let's talk about the church's perspective, how the church would apply, uh, would approach discipline in light of Matthew 18. But tell me first, what what do you have in mind when you say church? Are you thinking oh, yeah. local church? So that's a great question. Think? So I just mentioned like I will walk someone through Matthew 18, and I did just recently. Um, well, there were some conflicts. He said, she said, hey, have we gone through Matthew 18 yet? And they're like, whoa, what? We're like, well, the Bible talks about conflict resolution. Let's talk about this. And that was in the context of um, what I would call um, the personal church. So it used to be that um, the term local church revert, referred to like, an immediate church body um, with a pastor, with elders, with maybe a couple pastors, with deacons. But the church that I'm at now uh, has four campuses. Mm -hmm. Um, We had 15,000 people at our different campuses. Um, Every church, every campus is a mega church um, by any normal evaluation. I mean, just monster church. I mean, just so big. And so, but even then, so you can't really call that the local church because I don't know these people. As a general rule, I'm here, mm-hmm. I'm worshiping, I'm being taught, I'm practicing my, my spiritual gifts, I'm serving, I'm being served. All these great things are happening. But I can't talk to people by name and, and encourage people to grow more Christ-like if I don't know their name. And so well, I have what I have in my mind, at least, the personal church or the, the Christians in my life to interact with. I would say that's like my small so this group. This would be the, the, commu- the communion of saints, right? Yeah, these the, are the, the saints with which you communion. communion. Yeah, like mm-hmm. practically hanging out with. Then okay. I think there is a um, a local church, so like there's a church body um, that's organized in like in a campus in a building in a certain place. But then there's also a like a regional church, and so my church um, we partner with a ton of other churches in the area to meet like needs with human trafficking. To if one pastor is going on this retreat, well then one of our pastors will jump in and he'll preach. For one of their services, and we're not like a denomination, but we're just people that live in the same city and have the same big vision. So you got like a regional church, and maybe like a denomination could fit into that. But then you've also got the global church, um, and then you've got the like the the communion of saints for all time. Like right. like we were talking earlier with the Apostles' Creed. So when I'm talking church discipline, generally I'm talking about me sitting down with someone who I know and care about deeply. And there's some sin, some brokenness that has caused a, a separation in our relationship. Okay. Does that make sense? So that's sure. that's generally and we could break down uh what this might look like. Well, let's just go let's just go through Matthew eighteen for a bit. And let's look at it from that perspective, right? The communion of saints perspective. So I love what it. does Matthew eighteen teach us as far as church discipline in that context? Sure. And so um so you got Matthew eighteen, um it's, I mean, it's, it's so good. There's so much stuff there. But um, uh, Matthew eighteen fifteen is where I jump in if I'm walking someone through 
a church right. discipline. Um, if your brother sins, so if your brother, not your family, if an if a Christian sins, go show him his fault when the two of you are alone. So I'm not tweeting, I'm not emailing, I'm not texting. Hey, let's connect, just you and me. I feel like this was out of line. Um, and then if he listens to you, you have regained your brother. That's the end. Okay, great. We're 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 restored. That's the goal. Um, but if he doesn't listen, take one or two others with you, so that the testimony of two or three witnesses every matter may be established. And under and that's that's a quote from from Levitical law. You can't accuse someone of murder even if there's not more than one witness. Can I make a quick quick comment on this? Yeah, uh, we live in a very public forum for grievances. Like the, in, a, in a digital age, Festivus everything for the rest is, of us, airing is very is very it. public, right? And so, actually, yeah. I think we talked a little bit about. Um, you know, I was involved um, in some things this summer where, you know, there were some conflicts within a community, and people are like, "It is your responsibility if you see something you don't like." And I actually said, "Somebody said, if you see something you don't like, it is your responsibility to publicly shame that person so that they will stop." Yeah. This You're is like, actually oh this is the the culture that that we live in in North America and Europe. Like, if you see something you don't like, your responsibility you have a moral responsibility to call that person out. And shame them publicly. And I think Matthew 18 says, no, like, no, <laughs> you start, like, and if somebody, if somebody writes a blog post that you hate that much, before you write your own tweet, find their email address and email them. Or right, ask no, so them that, if you that even, you, So that even wouldn't obey Matthew 18. Uh, go and show him his fault just between the two of you when you are alone by yourselves. Well, that's what I'm like, saying. Like, like if let's say like I read something online and I'm like, I can't believe this person said this. Right? Maybe like maybe instead of writing something public, you start you start discussing with your friends how terrible that person is. Maybe you can start by you know I can't fly to wherever. Well, you can. To you, I can email. I mean, if you're that upset about it, I mean, I mean that it's radical. I think that yeah. is Andrew, radical. I do it's not have enough money. I do not have enough money to fly around and just talk to all the people I disagree <laughs> with their disagree. blogs. Yeah. Well, so. I think taking one or two with you is really it's a safety thing for the person that that supposedly has sinned because if I can't get people if I can't get you Ian to go fly with me to talk with this blogger that's her- heretical fly with me come it may just be me you know like I may be overly sensitive um so if I cannot obey Matthew 18:16 that's the end of the story mm-hmm. but the idea is you've got a couple people that gather around and say hey uh, Andrew, we care about you. This is not. This is toxic. This is not God's best for you. Um, and if if this person refuses to listen to them, Matthew eighteen seventeen, tell it to the church. And this is the only time church occurs that word in the Gospels. Um, ecclesia is the word. Um, uh, the community. So again, like, what does the church mean? Uh, I don't know that if someone like if uh, if someone says in a, in my small group. Um, uh, cheats on his wife, and I go, "Hey, man, you can't cheat on your wife. That's that's not good." It's like, no, it's great. And I get well, a couple other guys in the group, and we say, "Hey, you got to stop this." And he goes, "No, I'm going to keep doing it." I don't think our next step is to put this guy's Instagram photos on the the big screen on Sunday morning. I think our next step is say, "Hey, as a community, we have to talk about this. We can't pretend like this isn't a thing." And it says, if he refuses to listen to the church or to the, 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 the gathering, the community, treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. 
which sounds super brutal um, because tax collectors were people basically at the time, Matthew was a tax collector, people who had betrayed his own society. Gentiles mm-hmm. are people who have oppressed the Jewish society. Um, Jesus treats Gentiles and tax collectors. He goes to them and he shares the gospel with them. Hey, let me tell you about the kingdom of God because you need this. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I approach this, the way I interpret this is to say, if someone doesn't care what, what one or three or my whole community tells me is hurting me, we're just going to stop this whole conversation. We're going to table it and we're talking about Jesus. We got to start at the very beginning and bring people back to Jesus. Because if we don't have that in common, we don't have any hope for reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal. And I think you see that um, at the very from the beginning is the point. I want to point out one of the things I love about the way you're laying this out is that it's a very relational aspect to uh, to church discipline. You know, sure. It's very popular in a lot of churches to take what I would call a contractual. Um, there's two ways that either a contractual. Um, and so I've actually seen churches that are like, if you sign contracts or like if you want to leave the church, you have to get up and renounce that contract. Uh, or if you sign a contract, like a code of conduct, or they just kind of take a um a action police sort of thing that like you know we just gonna pressure people to to you know passive aggressively into doing things a certain way and this is again like this is a very uh it's a much more relational way of a ta- of you know it's like don't go signing contracts like you know what I'm saying like I, I hate I hate when people have a view of the church where like it's a contract right like you've That's made a contract act a certain way and you're only accepted. But it's more of it's more of the fact that like we as a communion of saints are an organism, and if you have a part that's sick, you have a responsibility to heal that, not to not to like you know say like, well, when you signed up to be an arm, you said you wouldn't. You said you'd show up every Sunday morning from the for the nine thirty and the eleven o'clock service for Miss Kathy's third grade class. You know, also. I mean, in 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about um, people suing each other. And Paul's like, what are you doing? Don't mm-hmm. you know you're going to judge angels? Can y'all just figure this out? Like, No, I didn't why know do you have to go- judge angels. I mean, like, come on. You're like, what, Paul? What are you talking about? And it's like, uh, do you have to go get some – you got to go some outside the church, find someone that doesn't even believe there's a God perhaps, mm-hmm. and get him or her to settle this dispute between you? Can't y'all just figure this out yourselves? And I think Paul says, don't even sue somebody. Like, if you if you have to sue a fellow Christian in your community, that is a tragic admission of failure. And I think Paul takes it seriously. And so, like, in my church, when we do a membership class, we actually have people sign things. Because when you sign things, it, it signifies it's serious. Not because we're like, hey, now we're going to look at your ties. But, like, you, we, we say, you're we want to be clear that you are inviting this sort of relationship into your life um and we want this you to recognize that this is serious this is like lawsuit serious and so i just uh closed on a house and it was shocking to me they they made me show up and sign maybe like 40 things and i'm like can this be done electronically like and they're like no we need you to sign this and that and this and that and Everyone needs to get original copies of your signature because this is serious. And I was like, wow, what? And so I think that's kind of a, a cultural thing that we do in our context. But I, I certainly see what you're saying. You're like, it's not an HOA. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the COA or whatever. It's just like, ugh. Um, 
But I mean, but church discipline is serious. Like uh, if there's, if your brother sins, go show him his fault. Um, when the two of you are alone, I felt like, um, when I moved to this church, I didn't tell you this, but I moved across the country. Um, my wife is seven months pregnant with our first baby. I don't know anybody. And I mean more than just like interviews. And, uh, I felt like our senior pastor did something that was out of line. And, I've never had a conversation with the senior pastor. I've been at this church for like two months and I feel like I got to go, I got to go talk to him. So I, I reach out to his admin who's super intimidating to me. And I'm like, uh, I got to sit down a one-on-one conversation with this guy. And I had to, I had to say, Hey, I, from my perspective, it seems like this is what's going on. And he's like, Oh, well, I can see how that could come across this way. Here's the background of what's going on. But I had to submit my comfort even when it was like serious because I was just, it was a faith thing for me to move towards reconciliation. Mm. Um, and then today I was helping him move, you know, that was years ago and now I'm helping him move and he gave me a big hug. And it's like, we have a relationship that from the very beginning has been like, Hey, I care about you a ton, way more than just making you happy. You know, like I care about you being what you were designed to be. He's a brother, you know, that's, and that's, I'm willing to be uncomfortable for us to be what we were designed to be. Um, but it's funny. It's at the very end of this, um, uh, there's a passage that uh, is totally taken out of context all the time. It says, uh, um, if two of you agree on earth about whatever you ask, my father in heaven will do it for you. For where there are two or three assembled in my name, I am there among them. And this is the worst scripture to pray at a prayer, Lord, we know that where two or three are gathered, you are you are with us, and so we claim that here today. Like J- Jesus' <laughs> spirit does not leave you when you are by yourself. Like He is the Holy Spirit lives in you when you are driving by yourself or when you're surrounded by Christians. Um, I think specifically in the context of church discipline, when two or three or four people show up and say, "Andrew, this isn't just like." an opinion thing. Like there are issues of conscience, like smoking. Is that evil? It may be terrible. It may be dumb. It may not be evil, but if two or three or four people say up and say, Angel, we really think you need to stop. I need to take that seriously. Um, that's some heavy stuff. Yeah. So I, I mean, I have a lot of thought. First of all, I think you just very clearly, uh, put yourself in the individual participation uh, side of, uh, how you, 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 uh, well, so like, uh, so I would say individual participation, but at the same time, I'm submitting to the community. So there's I a think, way that seems right to me, but it's going to kill me if I don't allow people to speak into my blind spots. I have to have community. If I get to say a couple things here, um, so this is actually we've had this discussion a lot because Andrew and I have different qualms when it comes to this uh, this discussion. And my fear in church discipline is that a lot of times people take uh, issues of wisdom and they move that into thus saith the Lord. So I actually oh, yeah. think, and so I think if someone says, "Hey, uh, Ian, we think you shouldn't eat meat anymore," that you should di- you shouldn't dismiss that um, because you're it, because you disagree with it um, because it, if if your community is coming to that, you should take it you should take it seriously. But at the same time, if it's a if that is an, a situation of this is our wisdom and us using our wisdom and commending this to you 
which is a different kind of hermeneutical stance. And like, this is the Lord says this is evil, and we're and this is like a prophetic. It would be like a, a wisdom sort of ministry, a teaching ministry, as opposed to a prophetic. Thus saith the Lord ministry. And I think mm-hmm. that those get um, get mixed up. And I think a lot of people that are big on 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 community um, submission to each other kind of drift into. Well, if the group gives you a wisdom, you'd have to to follow it. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think like, you do not have to accept the wisdom of your group just because they're your Bible study, but you shouldn't disregard it. Yeah. So I think um, you look at Romans uh, 14, uh, Paul says to the church in Rome, now receive the one who is weak in faith and do not have disputes over differing opinions. Um, so one person believes in eating everything, but the weak person eats only vegetables, so doesn't eat meat. Um, and says, who are you to pass judgment on another servant before his own mastery stands or falls? And he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Um, one person re- regards one day holier than other days. So like we celebrate Easter on this day, um, not on other days. Another regards them all alike. Each must be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day does it for the Lord. The one who eats, eats for the Lord because he gives thanks to God. Um, and so I think as we all move towards worshiping God with what we do, um, I think uh, I mean, we have to give an account of of himself. I mean, each of us will have to give an account of himself to God. It says in 1412. And so I think there's a place to say the individuals in your community need to be careful that there's a place for opinions. like, And that's okay. Right. Like li- There is things that are better for me or better for you. And if I hold my opinion um over you that's that's inappropriate and and paul goes on to break that out but um so i'm just gonna throw out if, if i can three concepts real fast here that, uh, and i just want to hear what you that's what you think about them but these are concepts sure. from the the individuals um aspect of this as opposed to maybe the church aspect of this so one is i would say if you're an individual and you would call yourself a christian the, i think the first thing that you besides this attitude of mercy which we talked about the other big um, thing I would commend to you is cultivating an attitude of receptiveness and not defensiveness uh, to your the, your communion of saints. That when somebody comes to you and says, you know, hey, we think we should do this or this upset me or something, that your natural tendency is one of receptiveness and taking it seriously and not um, defensiveness or dismissiveness. Well, I think I think actually. Uh, if I can jump in right there, I think that's super helpful. And so like when a, when a spouse goes to his or her partner and says, when this happened, I felt this. I think the immediate natural response that I have is to say, well, your feelings are wrong. <laughs> that's, that was, I mean, you just. Well, when you acted like a jerk, I felt that you were stupid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, what? But I think the very first thing is to recognize, uh, I don't want to cause anyone to suffer needlessly. Mm-hmm. And so like the fact that someone feels poorly as a result of what I'm doing or have done, even if it's unintentional, unintentional, I should, I should be upset by that. It's not okay mm-hmm. for me to say, I don't care how you feel. Um, yeah. But I think we need to talk through, I mean, that's a conversation, but I think I need to recognize from the very beginning, uh, I'm not better or worse than someone else. And there's a there's probably something that I can own, you know, like yeah. maybe the way I I may be right, but the way I said it was wrong. 
or the mm-hmm. timing was wrong or a million other things. I didn't right. know his perspective, her background, whatever it was. Um, but there, there is a piece of the pie for all of us to own. And I think if I don't admit that, then I'm being arrogant and I'm, I'm not living in light of what Christ has done for, for the community that I'm a part of. Right. So I, I totally agree with that. And I think the fl- so the flip side of that sort of re- uh, receptive attitude. I think what you just said there was good. Uh, this attitude of realize you know, thinking of the of the church as your mother, thinking of the church as the people for whom Christ died. Uh, that the flip side of that receptive attitude, I think, is is how you interact with the people around you. So, I had, I had a couple friends in college that I think the church just didn't meet their standards. Church didn't act the way they wanted. People in the church didn't act the way they wanted. You know, and I actually came to one of to one of them and I said, um, I said, you need to watch out because the people in the church don't are they they're not as they're not as good. They're not the way you want them to be. And it says it's going to be uh you need to watch out or you're gonna give up on the church eventually. And that person oh. got mad that person got mad at me, and ten years later I was right. And I was right for and all of them. They've all walked away because at the end of the day, the church could never meet the standards that they wanted them to. I think it's it's not good for man to be alone. And if I am the only person that that thinks of it, it's me and everyone else is wrong, I'm probably well, so wrong. The, the way it starts, I think, with a lot of people is this is is uh, this my this little group here is serious enough and righteous enough and the rest of them aren't. And then that little group just keeps getting smaller until it's not worth the effort anymore. And I, I just really, I really just encourage people that part of the an attitude of church discipline, it starts with when you look at your at people in your communion of saints, that they're people for whom Christ died, and you're a person who received mercy. Uh, sure. And cultivating an attitude of... Um, if you see in yourself the tendency where the church or people in the church always disappoint you because they don't quite they meet the way that you want things to be, you need to watch that because I think it's it's it that is cancerous. I think there's a place to say I want as a leader our church to excel still more. Right. So I'm talking here as as an individual, as an individual yeah. in the church specifically. Well, I think um I think there is a place to say, man, I wish we were doing better. I wish we were, we're not talking about the same old stuff anymore. We're not mm-hmm. doing the same old issues. But I think there's an issue of um, recognizing that there's not divisions. with. I mean, you, I mean literally, Paul says, re- I mean, it's ironic, reject a divisive man or a d- divisive person on a second or third warning um, because that's evil. Like we can't have you jumping in here and being divisive. Um, we're family. And I think if you recognize it's not the holy part of the church, like the church is a mess. There's a, I mean, there are people with toxic things in the church because everyone in the church has toxic has a toxic past. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't think you've got a problem, your problem is pride, right. um, and and that's the root of all evil. You know, like it's it's just yeah. we all we're family. We can't you can't pick your family. You don't get to say we're the true members of this family. What are you talking about? No, we're all family and you can do your own thing, but that's, that's not what family does. That's tragically selling short. Right. 
Uh, and so the last thing, I, the last thing I just want to point out is, and I mentioned this about ten minutes ago, but the, the the difference in ministries of the church. There is a shepherding wisdom um, ministry of the church. We, if you've been with us in the beginning, we talk about hermeneutics. This is what we talked about: judging significance. When you say, "Okay, here's here's this thing," I judge how it applies to this situation. Uh, that's called judging the significance in hermeneutically. Uh, hmm. And the authority for that uh, lies on you. My judgment of significance is only as authoritative as I've made a good judgment. That's different than when you apply the meaning. So in other words, like when you say, when you say, take out the trash to your daughter, right? If I said to your daughter, hey, you should take out the trash. I've applied the meaning directly of your statement and the authority doesn't lie on me. It lies on you. Hmm. Um, and so there, and so these come down, I think, to different ministries of the church, a prophetic ministry of the church where the church says, thus saith the Lord. And a wisdom ministry of the church where the church says, based upon the work of the Spirit, this it, it seems right to us. And these are different oh, yeah. things. It's thus saith the Lord, and it seems to best to us are different things. And in as an individual and as a church and, and an overall life, like we need to make that distinction. This is again back to that distinction between a church as a societal centerpiece, as a local expression, right? Where we all the time have to say it seems best to us, versus when we when we're making thus saith the Lord sort of proclamations and sure. those sorts of if you will mess mess those up. It will be harmful in one way. Like if we never say "Thus saith the Lord," only it's it, like that's harmful. Yeah, but it's also harmful if you're always saying like, "Don't keep keep those two ministries separate." Yeah, I feel like uh, God trusts us with a lot of really big decisions. So like, mm-hmm. He doesn't give us an explicit guidebook to so many things. He gives us um, His Word, His Spirit, and His His community to say. Um, I, y'all make decisions. Y'all have responsibility. I'm calling you into something that's huge, but I'm I'm giving you honor by allowing you to participate in what I'm doing. And I think it's super helpful and humble for us as a church to be realistic and say, "Hey, this seems like a good thing." And you see that actually in in the uh, um, the the Jerusalem Council where Paul's like, "Hey." So Gentiles, what's the deal? Can they get in? And it's like, it seems right to us and the Holy Spirit. Like, there's not an explicit mm-hmm. chapter and verse we can turn to, but this feels like the right thing to do. Right. And I think if the apostles can have that humility, I should be a little better at <laughs> having right. that humility. I mean, I can point people to Scripture, but life, I mean, and that's probably 95% of the time, we don't need to ask, well, what's the best thing? Like, what does God say? Yeah. If God has already answered this. We don't need to pray about it. But I do think there's about 5% that could be super dramatic and cause super division instead of mm-hmm. having a conversation church-wide. Yeah. And so I just want to, I wish we had time for this. I, I just want to mention too, with those, um, so within the shepherding aspects, you know, this is a mutual sort of thing. You know, the church shepherds as it preaches and we shepherd each other as we study God's word and as we talk about our lives and such. I just wanted to flip real fast to that sort of prophetic ministry of church discipline that thus saith the Lord uh, and how that works out real fast. So that works out in, in people's life when, when there were very clear things of morality uh, that people transgress, you know, we, we make declarations thus saith the Lord. 
Uh, and I think there's, there's an aspect too of, in our culture, like the church as the city, the, you know, the, the alt, the city of God as opposed to the city of man, right? Stands alongside our cities and say, thus saith the Lord, right? There's a kind of a discipline, um, that she exerts on society. Sure. But I just wanted to point out real fast that, like, that. Well, what, well that, actually, what do you mean by that? A discipline that the church exists on society? Um, so, like, Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins, go to him. But yeah. that's talking about in the context of Christian community. Right. So, and so this is, I think, again, this is, this is why I think that the, the idea of church discipline is all about the church existing in a world of sin, right? And so it breaks into, like, a shepherding and a, and a prophetic ministry of the church. Uh-huh. So there's a prophetic ministry where we come and we go to those who are not say, and we, we declare like this is wrong, right and wrong. So for instance, you know, I read a journal article uh, from the Journal of, of Medical Ethics out of a university in Australia uh, that was arguing that morally there's no moral ethical problem with infanticide. Okay, so if, if let's just say Australia were to pass a law that said, we don't see any problem, uh, he argued up to 18 months. Why don't we don't see any problem killing children oh, until they're 18 months old? The church has a prophetic responsibility to say, thus saith the Lord, that is evil. Yeah. Um, they also have a responsibility if, like, if a person in their church, and this is obviously, you know, the elephant in the room right now is the Catholic church is going through this, right? That they have people in the church that were doing things that were evil, and they have to say to them, this is wrong. Thus saith the Lord. This is what you're doing is evil. Uh, but all I wanted to point out is that those there is distinctions between the groups that you're interacting with. That if like when the prophets came to the nation of Israel and said, "Thus saith the Lord," that was different than when Jonah went to Nineveh. Like those are different sorts of proclamations. If it's God's people versus not, and as the societies, we I think I think that we are trying to interact with post-religious societies. In thus saith the Lord sort of ways, when those societies used to be a little bit more tangentially related to God's people, and they're not anymore. And so that means the way we have to say thus saith the Lord, this is evil, needs to change. And it's not. It's changing slower than societies are distancing themselves. Just just introducing that. Well, I think um, personally, I would think of that as something different from church discipline. Well, so and so, yeah. And so I knew you were about to say that. So I was going to say, I think those are all forms of discipline. I think that 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 would be the external ministry of discipline as opposed to the internal discipline. Um, that they, but they are exactly related concepts. I think. I think the prophetic ministry of the church is church part is half of church discipline. It has both internal and external. Uh, factors just like shepherding is the other half of church discipline which has an external and an internal dimension so what so like first corinthians 5 talking about sexual morality some issues of morality um uh blah 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 so he says in uh first corinthians 5 9 i wrote to you in my letter not okay letter hold up what letter i don't think we have that letter but he says not to associate with sexually moral people in no way did I mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters since you would have to go out of the world. Um, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who calls himself a Christian, dot, dot, dot. For what do I have to do with judging the, those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside, but God will judge those outside. Remove the evil person from among you. So what? how would you interpret that? 
Well, so again, so that would be a, a case of the internal. I'm all about fours, right? This is one of these four, you know, that would be the, an internal prophetic ministry, right? But he's drawing with there that, that there's a disassociation, a disassociation of part that can be part of an internal prophetic ministry of church discipline, right? But not an external. We don't distance ourselves from the world uh, because they don't meet our moral standards, right? We, but we can proclaim that what they do is evil. So this would be Paul, like Paul in front of the uh, the Roman governors, right? Where he says, like, no, like, I wish that you were as me, except for these chains, right? Um, or when he stands up, you know, before the Jews and says, this man that was prophesied, you crucified. And that, but, but that's, uh, those are different sort of internal versus external prophetic ministries that I think all falls into the church's, the church's role of, of discipline. Um, I think is both of those. That's interesting. So I wouldn't, so this is radical. Um, I would not speak into, uh, whatever culture that was talking about infants infanticide. I think I would do everything I can to move towards these infants. I think that's just a, that's the first thing. But the, the most important thing to me would be communicating the gospel. So I wouldn't judge them. Um, I would say, I wouldn't like, exclude them from our community i would treat them as a gentile tax collector someone who's hurting our community and attacking our community taking advantage of our community but i would i wouldn't let anything get away the gospel and i i would probably read those passages with paul and with uh with peter as talking about the gospel more than speaking against moral decisions well so again i i think that again this is what makes this issue very complicated is because the church functions both as a spiritual and as a societal community, right? And as a spiritual community, you're right. I think the most important, the primary aspect of the church is the invisible church. And the invisible church's primary responsibility to those outside of her is to preach the gospel. So I absolutely agree with that. That is the primary. But I, but I think as a, the church functions in society. It functions in the society which it's in because it's a part of that society and it organizes people and it's part of that the cultural element of that society. And I think as a visible entity in a society, it does have an external prophetic ministry of, of saying that something is evil if it's evil. But I would say that it is subordinated to the primary ministry of declaring the gospel. Hmm. Well, so I would, I mean, and this go, goes back, I think, full circle to the idea of what is the church. As I think about the church proclaiming the gospel, that really, when it comes to evangelism, is not so much, I think, the person who shows up on the weekend for a, a community gathering as it is someone having a unique lifestyle and sharing what makes that lifestyle unique with on one-on-one personal relations with those around him or her. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that, um, that is different. So I, I don't, I don't disagree with you, Andrew. I, and so I actually think a, two years ago, I would have absolutely agreed with you. I think as I've started exploring in my own thought, a little bit more of how the church functions, because I used to be church is invisible and that the visible aspect was very much diminished. And as I've thought more about how the church functions, as a societal element, um, I think it is augmented a little bit more this sort of visible ministry of the church, but again, subordinated to proclamation of the gospel. Well, so we don't, I mean, but I guess what I mean to say is we don't have, in our church context, 
we don't have church-wide declarations on homosexuality. As a general rule, um, we allow people's sexuality as they submit to the will of Christ based out of a response to the gospel to transform them. Um, and we certainly point people to scripture, but we don't, um, we don't, I mean, it's, it's relational conversations one-on-one. It's not a, um, official letterhead submission to the, the local news, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like when the, when our church, when I talk about my church speaking prophetically into the culture, that's happening more with my neighbor or my coworker than it is um, with an official proclamation on Twitter. Right. Well, it's, so again, like those are both just different aspects of practically how do you approach, um, how do you approach the the prophetic ministry of the church, right? But they those are just different approaches, right? But it's the same sort of thing, whether or not it's official proclamation or your church as members. Uh, again, uh, this comes back to maybe how you view God working primarily through the church as a collective entity or through the church as a collective entity of individuals. Sure. In the action. Um, can I just make, we, uh, we are getting long in truth. I do want to just uh, bring up one other thing. Um, I was thinking about this because it was Easter. And think about what's the, prof- what is the discipline, the disciplinary function of the church uh capital C across all space and time. What do you think, Andrew? What, if you would like, how does the church, this is, so we, you mentioned something earlier about how, like, if you disregard this creed that we believe in for 2000 years, like, um, do, are there any other ways you could think of as far as the, how that, um, disciplines, how the church is disciplined, um, or how it disciplines, how the church, uh, capital C, all believers across space and time from Pentecost until the Lord comes. Um, how it how it disciplines um, as often as you gather taking communion so like regularly taking communion I think um, don't forsake your gathering together um, you see that in Hebrews so like regular meetings um, I think you've got um, don't neglect the the uh, reading of scripture so all but all um, those things you're mentioning are only people that are alive right so that would be capital c as far as all all believers on earth now what about the church as far as all believers across all space and time what are they doing right now how what's the disciplinary how are they how how what is the disciplinary ministry of the church capital c of, across space and time i'm just curious if you oh, i don't know like yeah so here's here's what I was thinking. I was just curious if you if you if you had any thoughts. Um, I think that they shepherd by example. So they shepherd by by examples of faithfulness. So the church of the past shepherds has a shepherding ministry of discipline on my life by providing an example of faithfulness to encourage me to faithfulness. And they had a they have a prophetic ministry of Christ's victory over death, because even though they died, they die, they still live. Uh, and things like the blood of the martyrs being the seed of the church. That the church across all space and time, basically by her faithfulness, um, disciplines um, both the enemy by proclaiming the victory of death and disciplines us by providing an example of faithfulness. So I just thought that was an interesting, I, I thought it was an interesting thought and Wade never particularly thought about it. Disciplines us. That's interesting. Gives us something to look to. Right. Well, so, well, like, if when I look to the example of people that have been faithful 
it has a, a, a proclamation to my life if I'm not living according to that standard. It gives me a standard to live up to. You know, as you as you talk about like crossing different conversations, I do remember there was a there was an issue at my last church that um, was a a matter of uh, what I would say the the personal church. Like it was a smaller a small group. There was a member that said, "I'm going to do this thing with my sexuality, and I don't care what you say or God says or anybody says." And they said, "Hey, that's not okay. That's not God's best for you. We can't we can't hang out and pretend like." that we can't celebrate what you're doing. And he ended up um, writing a response to the church, um, ended up the, the elders wrote a response with him pleading to come back to, to the community and come back to the, um, uh, the, the foundation of his faith that he'd walked for years. And, but the, uh, the guy that, uh, um, basically he was encouraged to attend the weekend, but not couldn't have a, like a leadership role. He ended up publishing the article in the uh, the Dallas Morning News, the letter he was sent, yeah. and yeah, it yeah. was it was awesome because everyone is like, we completely disagree with these people, but are shocked at how generous and gracious and compassionate, and how committed they are to reconciliation and loving this person that they disagree with strongly and deeply. They take that seriously, and so I would. Yeah. I mean, it's it is like that. The world looked at how the church cared for and encouraged her members, and that was a proclamation, a prophetic proclamation, I think, to the world around. Um, but yeah, so I think uh, we we have to trust this this pattern. Um, step one, step two, step three. Um, and if we don't do this individually and we don't do this corporately, then we're not being obedient to what God has called us to be and to do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let, that's all I got. I don't want to go too long. I could. I, there's like three or four other things, but I think. Uh, yeah, well, I would say uh, if, if you want more, go look up that um, that that uh, Watermark Community Church Dallas Morning News article about um, a person being um, not not excommunicated, but uh, um, unable to to lead in the current role. Like they revoked his membership. Basically, he said you're not a member of good standing if you don't care what Jesus says about your life. <laughs> It was pretty intense, but it was uh, it's it seems super healthy. Um, mm. But that's all I've got. You got anything else you want to throw in? I think we have uh, man. We've said about as much as we could. There's uh, <laughs> you know I I think it, it's interesting that this discussion more than any other ones has brought up uh, how the church has different functions and which ones you emphasize will uh, will radically sometimes change um how you how you go about this so a lot more that could be said but i hope that i hope that it's at least encouraged people to think through what it means to be a part of a church and all the different levels that we talked about uh it is messy and uh, you know sometimes you have churches that like to have easter services on fridays and you have to just uh, oh. you have to just live with it some people consider all days holy <laughs> that's okay it's all right don't beat them up uh but I think, uh, yeah, it's messy, but family's messy, but family is good. So it's worth pursuing. Um, but yeah, so if, if you've got thoughts, if you've got questions, if you've got comments, uh, you can hit us up on Facebook or email us at backrowtheologians at gmail.com. Uh, we do hope this has been helpful. Uh, we do hope that you have grown in your faith, and we do hope that you'll join us again in two weeks. But until then, this has been Yates. And Ian, stop tweeting out everyone aggressively. Yeah, don't be so greedy. Don't be so tweety. Greedy and Tweety. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the back row, y'all. Godspeed.
Thanks for listening. Any views expressed on the podcast do not necessarily represent all of Christendom, so we encourage you to read and study for yourself and form your own thoughts. Special thanks to our production engineer, Johan Benjamin. The music was composed by Simon Yao. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review on iTunes, and we hope you'll join us again next time for another episode of The Back Row Theologians. You can't have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. Hold up for class. I'm going to say that again. What was that? Was that a toot? Um, it was a motorcycle. Okay, sure it was. All right, no, go ahead. Let it all out, Ian. <laughs> Wait for this, got it. No, no. Uh, take sip- your time. <laughs>